Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled, Living Wisely. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. I came across a fascinating uh, list several years ago in a magazine I was reading. Uh, have you ever experienced any of these as a parent or child? Uh, the list was simply called the laws of parenting. Uh, the first one is this. The later you stay up, the earlier your children will wake up the next morning. Been there, done that. Toys multiply to fill any space available. third law, and there's ten of them, but I'll only share five for the sake of time. The longer it takes you to make a meal, the less your child will like it. Uh, another one off the list, if the shoe fits, it's expensive. <laughs> the surest way to get something done is to tell a child not to do it. Don't clean your room. Why? Just don't Clean your room, right? I got to try that this afternoon and see if that works. The dictionary defines a law as a statement of fact deduced from observation to the effect that a particular natural or scientific phenomenon always occurs if certain conditions are present. Based on that definition, in my experience as a parent, I'd have to say that these five observations seem to qualify. Raising children is arguably one of the biggest responsibilities that a person can take on in life. Although God's Word doesn't give us any surefire laws on how to do it so that we always get the win, it does provide several principles that can guide us and increase the chances that our children will turn out well and walk with the Lord. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Proverbs chapter 22 and uh, take out the sermon note outline that you have in your worship folder so that you can follow along with me. I'm sorry I didn't provide crayons for you to color in some of the pictures I have, but uh, we're working on that. Our theme verse in this summer series through Proverbs has been Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. It captures or encapsulates the theme of the book I think that Solomon wants us to get. I'd like to invite you to say it out loud with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is inside. So thus, as we've been learning uh, to get wisdom, God's wisdom, you have to start with the fear of the Lord by a personal relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. We've also been learning that wisdom is the skillful application of God's Word to every area of life for His glory and our good. It's taking the truth of God's word and going, okay, this is what it means I have to do here with my finances or with my marriage or with my parenting or my character and so on and so forth. Throughout this series, Solomon, who was one of the wisest men in the world during his lifetime, uh, tells us one simple truth in several different ways. Wisdom reaps blessing, but foolishness reaps cursing. We all need God's wisdom because we all will face challenges in life that demand more wisdom than we have on our own. And parenting 
is certainly one of those challenges. Thus, our big idea for today is this, the sermon in a sentence, and that is the mission of Christian parenting is to pass the message to the next generation. The mission of Christian parenting is to pass the message to the next generation. It's not to make more Republicans. It's not to make more uh, uh, people that look like you or think like your family or to turn around and take and duplicate what your parents did to you. Well, I turned out okay, so I'm going to just turn around and do what my parents did. It's not, that's not it. If you are a professing Christ follower, the mission that you've been given, if you've been given children, is to pass the message to the next generation. Or to put it another way, the number one priority for a Christian parent is to, to do everything possible to see that child have their soul saved through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking right now. You might be thinking in your mind, I wish I had taken this Sunday off from church because I don't have kids yet. I don't have kids at home anymore. So why on? I don't need a parenting message. Come on. I wish I could have known the title of the message before I got all cleaned up and came to church. But here's, here's why. See, because I was thinking of you today. Because there is a boatload of opinions about parenting out there everywhere. But only a thimble full of them contain any biblical truth. If you want to get somebody fired up or going, you know, you can go to a party, you can go to the barber shop or the hair salon or the nail salon. If you bring up politics, religion, or parenting, you're going to get a lot of opinions. You know what I think, and you know what I feel, and I think, and I feel, and I think, and I feel, and my parents taught me this, and I think that's right, you know, and I did this, and And we all, at one time or another, will find ourselves in conversations with people about parenting. Or we will find ourselves in a position where we can influence someone who is parenting. And we need to be prepared to say what God has to say on the subject, not what we think or somebody else feels. And so, before you can think of a way to sneak out of the service without being noticed... Allow me to tell you who needs to hear this message. First of all, any child currently living under their parents' roof needs to hear this message today. Any former child who's now adult needs to hear this message. Anyone planning on having children needs to hear this message. Anyone who is currently raising children, anyone who has stepchildren, anyone that has stepped on a child, anyone who used to raise children, anyone expecting grandchildren, anyone who already has grandchildren. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? Okay. Now, when we talk about the topic of parenting, I think it's important to understand a big-picture concept that's not often talked about, but it's one that I've gleaned over my years in studying the Scriptures on this very challenging topic. Uh, you should have a pie chart on your sermon note handout. It is not... A peace symbol. I just realized this morning, well, that kind of looks like a peace symbol out of the 1970s. Never intended that. So um, here's what it actually is. 
I call it the pie chart of responsibility. I'm still working on a better title, but this is something I've been working on for a few years. In essence, I think there are three slices of pie that go into shaping a child and how that child turns out and whether that child becomes a born-again Christian. The first slice is parental influence, obviously. It's, it's how you live. It's what you teach them. It's, it's, it's all that you do in shaping the child that's been given to you or children. The other uh, slice, the second one, is God's sovereign will. The Lord has a plan for your children. He, he, he is working from the day they are born till the day they die, his sovereign plan. And then, there, of course, there is the child's free will. They, just like you, are, they have a will, they have a temperament, they have desires, they have things they like, things they hate, they, they make choices just like you do. And so all these seem to work together to shape a child and how that child turns out. Now, I think it means a few things. First of all, one way you could look at this pie chart is there's a lot you can do to influence your children for Christ. Parents have a vote in what happens in one-third of the pie, and you have a voice in a second-third of the pie in being able to go to the Lord in prayer a pleading for your child. On the other hand, this pie also is a reminder that there is only so much you can do. How many slices in that pie can you control? One. Only one-third of that pie can you control. You cannot control your child's free will. You cannot control God's will, even though we wish we could. You can only control your influence. Now, there are some implications that I want to kind of try and fence with this pie. Because depending on your temperament, your background, where you are spiritually, your experience with raising kids or your experience as a kid, you're, you're looking at this pie differently than the person sitting next to you. So I need to fence this carefully. And I tried to think through different scenarios of how would people look at this pie. First of all, Parents should never blame the Lord or their children for the mistakes they've made in child-rearing. So, so, so don't make sure you don't get caught up in pride and look at that pie and go, see, only one-third is me. Not my fault my kid turned out different. Don't do that. So, so therefore, if you didn't walk with the Lord when your child were living under your roof then don't be surprised if your child fails to walk with the Lord when they become an adult. Now, parents also need to avoid taking too much credit when their ch children turn out well. We like to do that. This is prideful because I think we'll all be surprised in eternity when we find out just how much the Lord helped us with our parenting. At the same time, parents need to be careful, though, not to take on too much blame when things don't go well. So long as you walked with the Lord and fulfilled your biblical parenting responsibilities. Also, outsiders should be careful not to rush to judgment on parents if a child was raised in a Christian home, but the child rejects the training they received. 
Proverbs talks both about parents that are foolish and talks about kids that reject their parents' teaching. So sometimes it's not the parents' fault. Sometimes it is the parents' fault. It depends. So therefore, I think what's wiser is, unless you have all the information of what went on in the home, where the child did not turn out well or rebels or rejects the Christian faith, we need to refrain from placing blame and instead just respond with compassion towards the parents. Because I can guarantee you the parents are struggling. And finally, a final implication of the, the pie chart. I think we can glean from this pie chart that children past the age of accountability cannot use their parents as an excuse for things they themselves are accountable for. Children have pride too. They like to blame shift. They will answer to the Lord for their choices that they make. So having said that, remember that as we talk about parenting today and then next week, I'm going to talk about parenting as well because there's a lot in Proverbs on parenting. We, let's remember this pie chart that as parents, we can only control one-third of what's happening here. It's a lot, depending on how you look at it, and we need to own that one-third is 100%. But there's also two other parts to the pie that we can't control, that we have to trust the Lord with. Having said that, let's look at Proverbs 22, verse 6, as we dive into God's Word. Solomon writes, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Here's point number one on your outline. Parenting with a long-term view will preserve your sanity. Parenting with a long-term view will preserve your sanity. At the beginning of this series, I shared some principles for interpreting Proverbs accurately, because they can be misinterpreted. And one of the tips I shared was this, that Proverbs are principles, not promises. They, they were intended to be generalities. Uh, this is especially important to remember with this particular proverb, because Proverbs 22.6 is one of the most popular parenting Bible verses in the entire Bible. But it's also one of the most misinterpreted verses in the entire Bible. Solomon never intended this verse to be a formula for success in Christian parenting because there are at least two other variables, as I mentioned with the pie chart, that we can't control. And again, it doesn't excuse us from any responsibility. We've got to do our part. And I'll talk about that later. So what does Proverbs 22.6 actually mean? Well, let me break it down for you. Train up. The Hebrew word in the original text has a double meaning. It means both to dedicate and to train. The verb form is used in the Old Testament to refer to dedicating a house or a place of worship to the Lord. The adjective form of the word is used in reference to trained, tried, or experienced men. So it has a dual meaning. Next. What are we supposed to train up the child to do, or children to do? In the way he should go. Now, some modern Christian 
and I'm using Christian in quotations, um, there are Christian psychologists that are not actually Christian psychologists. We got to be careful here because they are trained in secular psychology but don't use the word in their counseling. So I like to use the term biblical counselors because they see the word of God as the final and ultimate authority and they use the word in their counseling. So having said that, there are some Christian psychologists that have tried to suggest that Proverbs 22.6 means to train a child according to his or her personality traits or bent. But that's not what Solomon meant. In order to interpret Scripture accurately, we have to look at things like context and the intent of the author. We, we can't import things into the text that we want it to say so that somehow we can use the authority of God's Word to back up what we've already decided we want to believe. That's called bad hermeneutics. So, in the context of Proverbs, Proverbs 22.6 we have to look at it in context, understanding the big idea of the book and what this verse is set inside the book. Basically, there are only two ways for a child to go in Solomon's mind. A, pursuing righteousness in the fear of the Lord, which you might remember is one of the key phrases in the book. Fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. He uses it over and over again. The other option for the child, the other way they can choose is B, pursuing wickedness like a fool. Because throughout the whole book of Proverbs, Solomon talks about the fool and the wise man. Now, the Hebrew word for way literally means road or path. Figuratively, it means journey or a course of life. So what does the first half of the verse mean? Train up a child in the way he should go. Simply put, the verse means a child that has both been dedicated to the Lord and trained to follow him. That, that's what we're supposed to do. Dedicate the children to the Lord and train them to follow him. It, it could be translated, and some have tried to translate it different ways. One way you could translate it is start your child on the right road of life pointing them to the Lord. Now let's look at the second half of the verse. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Solomon seems to be saying that generally, usually, when parents raise their children in a Christ-centered home, those children often walk with the Lord as adults. And if they have a season where either they, they wander off from the Lord or maybe they never accepted Christ while living under your roof... And they may come to know Christ later in life. So how do we apply this? Jesus said in the Gospels, uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So we're committed to being doers of the word here. So I want to share, just, here's an application that comes to mind. Trust the Lord with your child's journey. If you want to preserve your sanity... Trust the Lord with your child's journey. That doesn't mean you outsource your responsibility. It just means as you're fulfilling your responsibility of, of trying to pass on your faith to your child, you trust the Lord with what he's doing in your child's life. So, so if you're doing 
or have done all that you can to train your child in the fear and admonition of the Lord, then remember that your child is writing their own story with the Lord, or actually he's writing their story, I should say. Sometimes parenting requires the faith of a farmer. Although we may scatter the seeds of the gospel on the soil of our child's heart, it will germinate and grow in times and ways that we do not know. In the meantime, we have to be careful that we don't lower the bar of the gospel or change the gospel or raise our child's faith in order to convince ourselves they're saved when they're not. You've heard me say before, a profession is not a conversion. There's a difference. There are always more professions than there are conversions. Repentance and faith alone, in Christ alone, is the only way anybody can get eternal life, no matter how cute they are or how old they are. And when such a change has taken place in a person's heart, there is always fruit to prove it. There's always fruit that leaves no doubt. So trust the Lord with your child's journey. Because the mission of Christian parenting is to pass on the message of the gospel. If you would, turn to Proverbs chapter 3 with me now. You might remember I've said before that we have to kind of hop around in Proverbs because the topics in Proverbs are, you know, on parenting, the verses on Proverbs, for example, they're spread throughout the whole book. They're not all in one chapter. And so Proverbs 3, I'm going to read verses 5 through 8. Probably very familiar to most of you, but I want to uh, show you another way to look at these verses. So notice in verse 1, Solomon writes, My son, this is how about the first nine chapters start. He's giving advice to his son or his sons. Now skip down to verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. There's that phrase again. Turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Here's number two on your outline. The second thing I think Solomon's telling us about parenting is this. Parents who disciple their children leave an indelible legacy. Parents who disciple their children leave an indelible legacy. Now, I realize disciple is sort of Christianese, so let me define what I mean by that. Uh, to disciple someone is to intentionally instruct them on how to follow Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, this was usually done with a combination of relationship modeling, and imparting skills. Those three things typically were part of discipleship. Now, indelible, you probably have heard of indelible ink or indelible markers. It means to make a mark that cannot be removed or forgotten. So in Proverbs 3, we get a glimpse of Solomon parenting his son. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's a very popular verse. It's on greeting cards. It's on social media. The Hebrew word for trust means to lie helpless face down. It paints the word of a servant or a, uh, awaiting his master's command or a soldier surrendering to a conquering general. To trust. 
In all your ways acknowledge him, he tells his son. He's describing a constant awareness of who God is and being submitted to his lordship. Now Solomon not only sort of models this, despite him not being a great example as a dad, he is trying to disciple his kids in the text here, but then he also goes on in other parts of Proverbs to share some benefits that come from discipling our children. Here's letter A. The children of disciple-making parents are temporarily protected. They are temporarily protected. Proverbs 14.26, I'll just read it so you don't have to turn there. In Proverbs 14.26, Solomon says, For the fear of the Lord, excuse me, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children have a refuge. This means that children living under the same roof as uh, parents who are believers will reap some of the blessings and protections their parents get because of their faith. Now, your outline has temporarily protected on purpose. And that's because unless a child makes their own commitment to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will lose the benefit of that protection when they move out. Next, letter B. The children of disciple-making parents are blessed in numerous ways. In Proverbs 20, verse 7, Solomon says, The righteous who walk in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Meaning, if you have parents that love the Lord, or maybe you were raised in a home with parents that love the Lord, you were blessed by their integrity. Because people who don't have integrity have a lot of problems in their life. Like branches on a tree that has strong roots, children growing up in a home that is rooted in the fear of the Lord will get to enjoy some of the rewards the Lord gives. When the roots are well-grounded, the branches benefit. Take, for example... A study that was done several years ago, about two families in the state of New York. One family was the bloodline of a man named Max Jukes, and the other was Jonathan Edwards' family, the famous American preacher. The thing that was discovered in the study when comparing the two bloodlines of these two men, Max Jukes versus Jonathan Edwards, was that Quite often, like begets like. Max Jukes was an unbelieving man, and he married a woman of like character who lacked principle. Among the known descendants of the Jukes family, over 1,200 were studied. 310 became professional vagrants. They, They simply wandered through life without any direction, a regular job, or a fixed home. 440 physically wrecked their lives with a degenerate lifestyle. 130 were sent to jail for an average of 13 years each, seven of them for murder. There were over 100 who became alcoholics, 60 became habitual thieves, 190 became public prostitutes. Of the 20 who actually learned a trade or profession in the Jukes family line, Ten of them learned that trade in prison. 
and it cost the state of New York back then, I think this was in the 17th or 18th century, about $1.5 million, and they made no contribution to society whatever, whatsoever. So that's the Jukes family, but now the Edwards family. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest American preachers to ever live, um, his family came onto the scene about the same time. He was a man of God. He married a woman of like character. 300 of their descendants became ministers, missionaries, and theological professors. Over 100 became college professors. Over 100 became attorneys. 30 of them judges. 60 of them became physicians. Over 60 became authors of good books that eventually were classics. 14 became presidents of universities. There were numerous giants of American industry that emerged from the Edwards family. And three became congressmen. And one became vice president of the United States. Quite often, like begets like. You can have an impact. You can leave a legacy. So here's a couple of applications that come to mind when we look at Proverbs 3. From a parenting perspective, here's the first one. Make the spiritual health of your children or grandchildren the highest priority. Make the spiritual health of your children or grandchildren the highest priority. If you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then your highest priority in parenting must be to set up your children or grandchildren with an authentic, autonomous walk with the Lord. It's more important than their education. It's more important than their clothing, than their smartphone, than the kind of car they drive. It's more important than them being popular because their eternity hangs in the balance. Let me get even more specific. This means that if sports and church collide, you choose church. It means that if your teenager doesn't want to go to church, you tell them, eh, I'm sorry to hear that, but you're coming anyway because you're living in my house and you're eating my food and using my utilities. When you're on your own, you can choose whether you want to go to church or not, but you're coming. It means that if grandchildren come to visit, instead of you using them as an excuse to stay home from church, you say, Grandma and Grandpa love you, but we love Jesus even more. And so we want to show you why we love Jesus. Let's go to church. You do these things and you will be remembered and revered by your bloodline for generations to come. Now you might be wondering, that's nice, Pastor, but I didn't know to do this or, or I didn't know Jesus when my kids were living at home. I mean, it's kind of too late, isn't it? No, there's still time. So here's your second application. And it's optional, depending on your circumstances. Apologize if you drop the baton. If you, if you failed to pass the baton of your faith, or maybe didn't have the opportunity because you weren't a Christian when you were raising kids, maybe you came to Christ later in life, then apologize. Something very few parents do for their kids is apologize. But it's rarity also makes it special. The Lord can use your humility to leave a mark on your adult kids today. 
You simply say, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes when I was raising you, and I, I, the biggest one I made was not teaching you how to know and how to, how to walk with the Lord. And, and I, he's changed my life. And if I could do it all over again, I would, I would teach you how to know Christ. That's, that's one of my biggest regrets. And I just have found in my own life, and I've seen it in the lives of other people, that when you have a humility that can apologize and just own it, it's very refreshing. And, and, and folks, even unbelievers, appreciate it. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you're realizing today during this message, you've got to make some changes with your kids. I would encourage you when you go home, then if that's you, you need to say, hey, you know what? We, we've, we've been a little lax in some areas, and we have to make some changes, and I'm sorry. We take full responsibility for that. Here's why. Because God's Word says, and here's the blessings that come from it, so here's the changes we're going to make. And, and, and it'll be tough because it's changed, but we'll get through it together. You just own it, and you, you have humility, and you apologize, and say, hey, I'm growing with you. We're going to learn together. So apologize if you drop the baton. Because the mission of Christian parenting is to pass the message on to the next generation. And if you're still here on earth, and they are too, you got time. You've got time. Okay, if you would turn to Proverbs chapter 24. Here's the last proverb we're going to look at. Chapter 24, verse 21. And as you're turning there, um, Proverbs 24, verse 21. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not join with those who do otherwise. Here's number three in your outline. The third truth that Solomon gives us uh, regarding parenting is children need to be discipled by their parents. They need to be. Uh, in, in Proverbs 22, verse 15, Solomon says, uh, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It's a reference, a nod to the inherited sin nature. That, that, and we'll talk about this more next week, but without the leadership and the discipling of a godly parent, children will run off the road, off the rails, and make a wreck of their lives. And there's plenty of research to support that. Solomon may not have been the best example as a father, but one thing he did do well is talk about the Lord with his sons. Notice, fear the Lord in verse 21. You might remember from my introduction to Proverbs, it's 14 times he uses this phrase in the book. It's also used throughout the Old Testament to describe being afraid of the Lord, being in awe of Him, and respecting Him. And all three of those things, with the fear of the Lord create a tension where we want to draw close to him in delight and we want to keep a safe distance in dread. Notice how he instructs his son to not only fear the Lord, but also respect authority. Fear the king, too. That's something else parents need to teach their kids is how to respect authority. Do we need any more evidence on the news that there is a generation coming up that's not been taught how to respect authority? Holy cow. And so he says to his son, and if anyone doesn't fear the Lord or the king, meaning if they don't respect authority, have nothing to do with them. Avoid them. 
So here's letter A on your outline. A common issue that can come up in a home is sometimes mom and dad are not united on how to raise the children. Here's letter A. Parents that are united around God's word are most effective. Parents that are united around God's word are most effective. Sadly, this sometimes happens where there is disagreement. But the one sure way to find agreement is to agree that God's word defines and dictates how we're going to raise the children, and we have to agree on this, because we won't agree on some of the other peripheral stuff and preferences. We won't. So we have to rally around the truth of God's word, which doesn't change. It's timeless, it's powerful, and it's effective. So Solomon says in... Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. See, he references both father and mother in Proverbs 1, 8 and 9, having a role in parenting. For they are graceful, garland for your head, and pendants around your neck. It's worth mentioning that Proverbs 1 says both parents are involved in the discipleship process. It also assumes both parents are united in pointing their children to the Lord through his word. So how can you though specifically do that? Okay, You might be agreeing, okay, well, I, I get it, I get it, I understand, I need to do that, but how do I do it? Bishop J.C. Ryle offers great advice in his book called Duties of Parents, The Duties of Parents. And this is practical advice that Maya and I have tried to follow in our home since we started a family. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite authors, he says this, Any system of training which does not make a knowledge of Scripture the first thing is unsafe and unsound. But if you love your children, let the simple Bible be everything in the training of their soul. And let all other books go down and take second place. See that your children read the Bible reverently. Train them to look on it, not as the word of men, but as the word of God, able to make us wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Now, of course, I think, I think Ryle is assuming that mom and dad know the Bible. You see, you, we can't impart what we don't possess. So if we don't know the word and we're not in it and don't know where to find things in the word, then it's going to be hard for us to teach our kids how to read the word. So you've heard me say before, five days a week, 30 minutes a morning, in prayer and in God's word, you will grow and you will be able to help your kids grow. You'll learn the Bible. You'll learn. Here's letter B on your outline. Children who learn truth from their parents may live a longer life. It's one of the other benefits of discipling kids. In Proverbs 4.10, he says, Hear my son and accept my words, that your years of life may be many. One of the handful of reasons a long life is seen as a blessing in the Scriptures is because it means that the person gets to stay on earth longer to make an impact for the Lord. I've occasionally joked with my kids, um, don't do anything stupid or foolish that would lead to an early death. Like uh, one of my kids was reciting a few months ago a skateboarding story where he almost hit a car or a car almost hit him. I would love to see footage of that event. 
to see which one actually happened. Did he almost hit the car, or was it the car, was it him? But anyway, I said, don't, don't do anything stupid that would lead to an early death, and then cause the Lord to say, what are you doing here? I, I, I'm not expecting you for several more years. <laughs> I never said it was a theologically accurate joke. It's just... It was the best I had at the time when my child was telling me of his skateboard adventures. So, but here's, here's, here's an application, our final application for today. Develop a discipleship plan for your kids. Get, get, get specific. A mentor of mine once taught me um, that, that if your goals are not calendarable or measurable, they won't happen. So, 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 so don't say... You know, honey, we probably should start doing bedtime devotions with the kids again. See, because if you just say that, nobody has any responsibility. There's no goal of when you're going to start or what you're going to do. Instead, say, and I think the man, the husband, if there's a husband in the home, being the spiritual leader, should lead out in this. Say, starting tomorrow night, Monday evening, Mom and Dad will take turns leading devotions from the Zondervan Children's Bible at 8 p.m., Monday through Friday, in the youngest child's room. So you have a time and a place, what you're going to use as a resource, and who's responsible. So Dad will take Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mom gets Tuesday, Thursday. It's not vague. It's calendarable. It's measurable. It's specific. One of the greatest tragedies in many Christian homes today is parents outsourcing the discipleship of their children to the local church because they don't want to do it or they don't want to learn how to do it. It's horrible. And as a result, thousands of kids are growing up in homes in which their parents profess to know Christ but don't teach them about Christ. May that never be the case in your home. The responsibility of the local church is at most to partner with parents and at least to resource parents. But when we stand before the Lord someday, we will be accountable for our kids. We can't blame the church. So develop a discipleship plan for your kids or your grandkids when they're over at your house. Finally, as we close, I'd like to do something I don't usually do, and that's to share a poem. I'm not a poem guy, i got to admit, but I came across this poem several years ago and saved it in my files for a day like today. I don't know who the author is, but whoever it is, they have some great insight, I think, on the pie chart of responsibility. The poem is called what a parent can and can't do. The author writes, as though they're writing to their child, I gave you life, but I cannot live it for you. I can teach you things, but I cannot make you learn. I can take you to church, but I cannot make you believe. I can teach you respect, but I can't force you to show honor. I can teach you about sex, but I cannot keep you pure. 
I can tell you not to use alcohol or drugs, but I cannot say no for you. I can pray for you, but I cannot make you walk with God. I can teach you about Jesus, but I cannot make him your savior. I can teach you to obey, but I cannot make Jesus your Lord. And finally, I can tell you how to live, but I cannot give you eternal life. For those of you that are grandparents, parents, or not parents yet, I want to encourage you to focus on the things the scriptures and this poem say you can do instead of what you can't do. And then trust the Lord with the results. Because the mission of Christian parenting is to pass the message of the gospel to the next generation. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I realize, Lord, that the topic of parenting can be one that's emotionally loaded. We love our children, our grandchildren. There are children here in this room or maybe listening online that love their parents. Parenting can be, it can be complex and challenging. Father, please would you help those that are trying to walk with you and trying to pass on their faith to their children. Lord, please would you give them favor and fruit in their efforts. Would you help them, Lord, to clearly articulate the gospel and the truth of your word and all its various topics that it addresses? Lord, would you bring their children to faith in Christ, a, uh, an authentic, real, standalone relationship with your son that bears fruits of repentance in a changed life. Father, I know there may be some here or listening online that are struggling because perhaps their child or children are rebelling. rejecting teaching or rejecting parental authority. Father, please, would you bring those children or children to repentance? Would you convict them? Would you work in their lives? And if necessary, allow them to reap consequences so they will humble themselves and come back under their parents' authority. And Lord, would you give great wisdom to the parents on how to handle that situation? Father, I know there are others here that uh, have grandchildren growing up in homes with unbelieving parents, and, and, and they get very little time with the grandchildren, but they want to make the most of that time. They, they, they want to see their grandchildren come to know you, but they also don't want to burn bridges with unbelieving children, adult children. Please, Lord, would you help them to be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves? and how they go about that. 
And Father, finally, for those maybe that have made mistakes or dropped the baton when they were having children in the home and now the children have grown up and they're gone, Lord, would you redeem that time lost through humility and repentance and, and, and apologizing? Would you, Father, do what only you can do and maybe bring an adult child to faith in Christ? Or reconcile a relationship that's been broken? We love you, Lord. And we ask you, please, to help us grow in our parenting. And Lord, please, would you help the children under the roofs of their parents to respect their parents and the responsibility that you've entrusted to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.